The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us today on the show, former Watergate special prosecutor Nick Ackerman, who is here to talk about the upcoming January 6th Select Committee hearings, which we are all waiting, um, I think, with popcorn baited breath. Thank you so much for being here, Nick. I felt it was important to talk to somebody who was involved in Watergate at this particular moment in time in American history, because it feels like this is the only historical precedent or historical parallel, but also the set of facts we're talking about here are so much worse. So two days out from the January 6th select committee hearings, as somebody with the experience from Watergate, what do the, what do the Democrats or really the committee and the two Republicans on the committee need to do Um, utilizing the primetime TV space in order to sort of break through. I think it's so different now because Watergate, there was no Fox News, but how do you see sort of the strategy in terms of using the televised hearings a la Watergate to break through and sort of tell the American voter how serious this was and what happened? Yeah, I think what they really have to do is make sure that they grab people's attention right out of the box, that they make this a very compelling presentation, um, that people don't get bored. I mean, this has got to be a slam dunk right between the eyes, um, that people learn new things, that they hear it from the horse's mouth, um, that they have witnesses who are compelling, that the presentation is compelling. I mean, what was different now than back in Watergate is that you have all of this various multimedia um, uh, that you didn't have back then. And certainly playing excerpts from people's uh, depositions, which were in video, um, trying to put together charts and using PowerPoint. Uh, I think they've just got to make this so it is extremely compelling. It's like you were putting together a presentation for a jury trial and you want to keep the jury awake and you want to just hit them between the eyes with really compelling evidence. Um, Certainly that happened with the Watergate uh, Senate Select Committee um, in the sense that uh, John Dean, who wound up um, being one of the prime, probably the prime, a witness in that case. Nobody even knew who John Dean was at the time he testified. Uh, but he came in giving a very compelling uh, narrative of meetings he had with Nixon, in which Nixon was basically orchestrating uh, the cover up and ordering hush money to be paid to the Watergate burglars. Uh, and after Dean testified, it really came down to a question of whether it was it was his word against Nixon's word. Uh, and the people who were in attendance at the meeting and the Republicans were attacking Dean, saying that he wasn't credible. And then lo and behold, what happens? Another unknown um, individual who was in the Nixon White House, Alex Butterfield, who was, had the title of deputy assistant to Nixon, uh, kind of another one of these t- 
titles that's in there, comes in and testifies um, that there was a taping system uh, in the Oval Office. And so that the very conversations that Dean testified to were all tape recorded. So then the big issue became, well, are these tapes going to corroborate and support what John Dean said? Uh, and they did. Um, so it was a very compelling story. And I think what has to happen here is that the Senate Select Committee has to present a compelling story. Now, it can't obviously be the same as what happened um, in, in Watergate, but it has to you know, approximate that. And it has to use all of the technology that is now present that the Watergate Senate Select Committee did not have back in 1973. I mean, it, it's so fascinating to sort of hear it laid out like that because I, wa I wasn't um, I wasn't here for 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 the Watergate <laughs> hearings, um, but obviously having seen um, you know all of the documentary footage and the news reporting from the time and the news archive footage of the time, you know, it, it was, it, at least in hindsight, my understanding is what you just said, which is that John Dean's testimony was blockbuster and then corroborated by the tapes. And then that was sort of what led to, you know, the wave in front of the helicopter that we all remember that footage. Um, and I feel like, you know, there's the story in this case is much more complicated, but also simpler. Right. Because it, it you know, it's not sort of paying off people or or a full scale cover up per se or that we're aware of. Um, but it's like people violently attack the Capitol to try to stop the certification. Um, yeah, no, the story here is. Yeah, like it's, it's right. super simple. And we watched that happen. So it, with that set of facts in, you know, which is what we're working with here, who is the is there a John Dean moment or is there a John Dean character in this particular story is it mark meadows that flips and says like this is what happened everybody was texting me um, um during the insurrection um you know like is there a moment that at least you're looking towards that um the january 6th committee can utilize in the way um you know john dean's testimony became sort of that breakthrough blockbuster moment that i think if people picture watergate in their brains that's the image they see is John Dean's face in front of that microphone. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think, I mean, two things. One is that I don't think you're going to get Mark Meadows to testify. I mean, again, you didn't get the, the chief um, uh, aides to Richard Nixon testifying mm -hmm. the Watergate committee. You really got kind of minor characters. I mean, John Dean was counsel to the president only in name. Mm -hmm. um, he was reporting to John Ehrlichman, who really was the counsel to the president. Um, and was not an insider uh, among the Nixon group. I think what you're going to find here is something similar that maybe um, Mark Meadows' assistant, who has been cooperating with the January 6th committee, is going to be uh, the new John Dean. Or it could be somebody else that we don't know about. Um, but I think what you're going to find is just in the same as it would happened in 1973 with the Senate Select Committee, that there are going to be people who were assistance and basically people unknown to the public who are going to come forward and provide a compelling testimony. And, and that's what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Now, keep in mind, I mean, you mentioned before the indictment yesterday um, with the Proud Boys um, for seditious conspiracy. Um, you've got, again, a, a parallel proceeding here. You've got a, a, a a congressional committee moving ahead and you've got a totally separate proceeding going with the department of justice 
uh, where they have indicted both the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers uh, for seditious conspiracy, which is a super serious crime, uh, carrying 20 years um, of imprisonment. Um, and what's significant there is that um, these two groups um, are, you know, we're working together. Uh, you know that you've got two cooperators in each group that are, are helping the government, which is why they were able to indict uh, the Proud Boys yesterday on the seditious conspiracy. And you also know that the Proud Boys were communicating with Roger Stone, who mm. is uh, Donald Trump's chief political advisor. So, you know, the question is, well, what was uh, Roger Stone telling these people? Uh, what was he communicating to Trump and Trump to Stone, to the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers? I mean, don't forget, during one of those presidential debates, Trump, when, you know, questioned about the Proud Boys, he said basically, quote, stand by, you know, stand back and stand by. Right. Um, so he knew who the Proud Boys were. And the question is, you know, what did he know? What we really don't know at this point, and, and the big fact that I'm, I'm kind of sitting on the edge of my seat trying to determine whether it's going to come out, is we know that at least a day or two, if maybe not more, prior to January 6th, Donald Trump knew that Mike Pence was not going to throw the election for him, that he was not going to uh, discard the votes from the battleground states, and he wasn't going to do Donald Trump's bidding. And the question then becomes, well, how could they stop the process? Mm. And obviously, the one way to stop the process was through violence and through trying to disrupt Congress by going in there and, and basically keeping people from doing their constitutional duty. Uh, in fact, when um, Mike Pence was you know, taken out of the Senate chambers by the uh, Secret Service, they wanted to put him in a car. Uh, to go back, you know, to, to go somewhere else because they considered him to be in danger. Uh, but to his credit, Mike Pence said, no, I'm going to stick by and we're going to continue and finish this process. Um, what they were trying to do with that violence was to stop the process so that they could in some way get more time to try and get the states to come up with these phony electors right. um, that would permit uh, Donald Trump to be elected, you know, president through basically a coup. Um, so what I really want to hear um, and what I'm looking for in these hearings is what did Donald Trump know about this use of violence to stop the process? When did he know it? How did he know it? Was he directing it? Was it done through Roger Stone, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers? Um, will this information come out? Now, the problem, of course, here is that you've got these two parallel proceedings and What's going on with the Department of Justice doesn't necessarily cross-fertilize what the January 6th committee is doing. Um, I doubt very much whether they'd be able to get the testimony at this point from the two cooperators, you know, the two in the Proud Boys, the two in the Oath Keepers uh, that are cooperating with the Department of Justice. So there clearly is a part of this that we're not going to know about mm. just because you've got this, these two parallel proceedings and when you've got a grand jury investigation and a criminal case going, um, this is not something that is going to go over to the committee at this point in time because the grand jury proceeding is secret uh, and the criminal proceeding has to go ahead. As you are preparing for a criminal case, you don't just give out your evidence so that the 
defense learns everything um, that is out there. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out and to see exactly what it is um, the committee is going to come up with with respect to Donald Trump's knowledge of that violence, when he knew it, how he knew it, and, you know, what did he do with respect to it? You mentioned Roger Stone, and it's so funny that he's always coming up in every single story where there's shenanigans because, you know, you know Roger Stone well. He was a name that came up during Watergate as well. Um, well, I might add, I had Roger Stone in my office in September of 1973. Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> Tell me about that. Well, Roger Stone was being was was very active in dirty tricks going way back. Um, what I was questioning him about was a plot by the uh, Nixon White House directed by Charles Coulson, who was counsel to the president, um, to uh, bring up the exact same people who were the burglars that broke into the Watergate complex. Um, two weeks later, they were brought up on May 3rd for an anti-war demonstration that was being held on the Capitol steps. And one of the featured speakers was Daniel Ellsberg. And the Watergate burglars, the people that were there and people I talked to directly said that what they were told by E. Howard Hunt and Gordon Liddy, the two people that were directing them from the White House and the committee to reelect the president, was that they were to try and basically kill Ellsberg to get to him on the stage um, and just beat him to a pulp. Uh, and one of the diversions that was being set up um, to keep the police away was a counter demonstration uh, that was also organized by Charles Colson um, to get uh, this counter demonstrations of people who were um, college students and college student age um, to be demonstrating at the same time against the anti-war demonstration that Ellsberg was leading. Uh, and one of those counter demonstrators uh, was none other than Roger Stone. Uh. Now, I don't think Roger Stone knew the entire plot. I mean, he wasn't that high up in the organization, um, but he did do other things besides that. I mean, he was sent up to New Hampshire uh, basically to donate uh, money to the McCloskey campaign who was running in the McCloskey was a liberal Republican congressman running in the uh, New Hampshire primary against Nixon, basically the anti-war candidate. And so Roger Stone donated money in the name of the young socialists so they could then try and paint McCloskey as a socialist. Um, so Roger Stone was used for a lot of dirty tricks during the course of the Nixon campaign, although, you know, he was a pretty minor figure at the time. Um, but, you know, as the years went on, look, he was the guy who was kind of coordinating that Brooks Brothers riot in the Gore right. um, Bush uh, campaign. I mean, all of this is right up his alley. He's the one who essentially uh, talked Trump into running for president and tried to get him to run for, you know, a number of years. They're very close. They talk all the time. Uh, the judge who sentenced Roger Stone um, basically said that Stone was covering up for, for Trump. That was her finding. Uh, and he was sentenced to prison. And the only reason he didn't go to prison was because Donald Trump wound up uh, pardoning him. Um, so uh, there is a close relationship there. And once someone starts really digging into this, the, the question is, you know, what do the people, the Proud Boys that Roger Stone was with on January 5th, what, what did they say to him? What was Roger Stone saying to them? Uh, does all of that 
go right back to Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, that, those are some of the questions that I have also. I mean, there was there's documentary footage. There, there's, there are plans for um, some of the documenta- documentarians who, you know, film footage that were following the Proud Boys um, and the Oath Keepers on the days leading into and on Insurrection Day, January 6th. They are going to be a part of the testimony, so it'll be interesting to see how that evidence and testimony is utilized in telling the story because, you know, even from screen grabs we've seen, um, reported, you know, Enrique Tario is on Roger Stone's t- telephone. Like if there, if you pause the frame and you blow it up, which right. people did, not me. Um, but you know, Enrique Tario, who was charged yesterday with seditious conspiracy, is on Roger Stone's cell phone, like on January fifth. So, the, you know, many of these facts are in the public domain, and it'll be interesting to see how the committee puts them all together. In terms of this parallel investigation idea, I mean. One of the ideas I've seen sort of floated, and I'm curious your thoughts if this is actually a real thing or if the DOJ is like on an island unto itself, completely tuned out from what's happening at these committee hearings. Is is it possible for what the committee presents in these hearings throughout the course of the month of June, does that help bolster the DOJ in terms of, you know, there so much evidence is presented to the public that if they charge, you know, higher ups or, you know, potentially members of Congress with something related to the insurrection, um, you know, it it won't look as partisan because the January 6th committee has presented such a compelling um, case. And, you know, all of the evidence is laid out in, 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 su- in such a way that, you know, for the DOJ not to act would look more unusual. Is it possible the committee could help? push the GOJ in one direction or the other? Oh, no question about it. I mean, you know, they, they are in a sense an island unto themselves, but not completely. Um, and certainly, um, you, you know, trying to bring a, a case, a criminal case against Donald Trump, um, having the evidence laid out, if there is that kind of evidence laid out in the committee, um, would be extremely helpful. And there's no question that that evidence will ultimately go to the Department of Justice. I mean, what's interesting here is um, it was kind of in a reverse situation back in Watergate. Mm. Uh, what we did is we sent a, a basically a listing of all of the evidence showing Nixon's involvement um, in the cover, Watergate cover-up. Um, and we sent all of that evidence over to the House Judiciary Committee for the impeachment. Um, and basically put it together in a chronological order so that after you read the whole thing, you just know this guy was guilty. Um, I would expect that what's going to happen here will be in reverse in the Mm. sense that um, the Senate Select Committee will be sending over evidence uh, to DOJ. Now, from our standpoint, it was a little bit more tricky because we had the grand jury secrecy to deal with and had to get an order from the district court in order to do that. Here, the January 6th committee need only put this together and send it over. Although, you know, a lot of it may be um, coming out just in in the public domain uh, during the course of this hearing. Um, So I I think, yes, there's no question that um, in in some ways uh, what, what they're doing um, could wind up enhancing a potential criminal prosecution by the DOJ here. I mean, I, I really hope that because with the Mueller probe and I'm curious your thoughts about, you know, sort of looking back at the Mueller probe and in, in, in terms of what 
what happened and why it sort of didn't didn't result in criminal charges. I think one of the distinctions between that moment and this one is there's a Republican uh, president and back then and that meant that there was an um, attorney general who was shouldn't have been but was allied with President Trump at the time. So this is really different because we're in a whole new administration. Um, When you look at the Mueller probe and how it didn't result in charges for many of the higher up people who were involved um do you are you hopeful that this turns out differently because of i mean at least there's merrick garland and it's not bill barr oh i totally agree with that <laughs> but there's also another another reason here look uh, the, the whole Mueller probe was done pursuant to this ridiculous regulation in the department of justice mm. uh, that allows the attorney general to appoint a special counsel um which th- this regulation ought to be abolished i mean what happened was um, they basically uh, manipulated that whole situation by restricting Mueller in terms of his investigation. And then once he finished and put out his report, um, they manipulated the report. Bill Barr came out and basically took facts that basically showed beyond a reasonable doubt that Donald Trump committed obstruction of justice and tried to make it look like it was an exoneration uh, and did that before the public even had a chance to look at all those facts and digest it. And then you saw what happened with the um, the most recent um, appointment that he made just before you know Trump left office, which was uh, the Durham investigation, where he secretly appointed Durham special counsel so that Durham could continue this absurd investigation into the FBI and whether or not uh, the Russian probe was legitimate. Um, that resulted in this indictment of the attorney, Donald Sussman, right. um, who was acquitted. I mean, it was the most ridiculous case you could have possibly brought. They knew beforehand um, that the Clinton campaign was going to say that um, Sussman had no authority to um, bring this to the FBI and wasn't told to do this by the Clinton campaign. So it completely undermined the whole theory of his case that, that Sussman lied about the, um, uh, the reason he was going in to see them. Um, and it's continuing. I mean, the problem is they were able to manipulate this special uh, counsel regulation, both on the Mueller side and on the Durham side. And you don't have that problem here. You've got basically the January 6th committee that's putting together their evidence. You've got the DOJ that's putting together their grand jury evidence. Uh, the part we're not going to know necessarily is the connection with the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, Roger Stone, and Donald Trump. We're not going to know what DOJ knows, but we might find out um, what the January 6th committee knows. And that's the part I'm on the edge of my seat waiting to see what happens. Yeah, I'm on the edge of my seat, too, because I feel like, you know, when you when you hear the committee members themselves talk over the weekend, as they did on the Sunday shows, that, you know, pretty much like we know a lot, but, you, you know, you're not going to believe what else we have, um, you know, that kind of sort of tease uh, ahead of Thursday's, the beginning of Thursday's hearings. I think I'm I'm hopeful um, that a really clear story can be told um, through these hearings, but also I'm hopeful to see more charges coming out of the DOJ. Nick, we'll have you back throughout the course of this month as the hearings continue. They start on Thursday at 8 p.m., in prime time, January 6th select committee hearings. Um, and this is a, it's a wild time in American history. It's quite unprecedented, but maybe Watergate is the only parallel, which is why we love talking to you. <laughs> Nick Ackerman, former Watergate special prosecutor. Thank you so much 
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.